Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. And it's a little difficult for us as veterans to think back to when we first started in film photography. And this comes out of a little conversation we had with a bunch of other film photography podcasters talking about how we've been doing this for such a long time. And do we really connect with those who are just starting to get into photography and film in general? So we've decided to put our heads together and think about some of the best parts about what's great to get started, what camera to start with, what film to start with, lessons to learn, and more importantly, how you as veterans can help teach those who are coming into film photography. So without further ado, let's roll the introduction and get going. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And welcome back. So the, one of the first things that anyone getting into film photography is going to need is a camera. And Bill has tried a ton of fantastic cameras, and he has four amazing cameras that are inexpensive and really easy to get into shooting film and just shooting photography in general. So, Bill, take it away. Let's roll the clock back over 20 years. I'm in my early 30s. I got into film photography, and it was sort of I was given a Canon Rebel G as a Birthday gift with a subtle hint, Bill, you're working too hard. You need a hobby. But then a year or two later, I really went down the rabbit hole by getting a Canon AE-1. That camera and the FD lens mount system has served me well. I still shoot Canon FD glass to this day, but not the AE-1. Let's fast forward to 2022. I am not going to recommend an AE-1 or a Pentax K1000 because neither of them are affordable anymore. I consider them more cameras for people to relive their youth, for lack of a better term. Or it was, hey, this is the camera my mom and dad used or my aunt and uncle or grandparents. So unfortunately, pricing has gone through the roof with both the K1000s and AE1s. And especially, and also the other thing with K1000s, as Joan from Burlington Camera would put it, they're kind of like, Ford Crown Victorias that used to be police cars, then became taxi cabs, and they were run down to the axles. So I'm going to give you four cameras to consider, two manual focus, two autofocus. And again, it really comes down to where do you feel your head is at in terms of, are you someone who is going to take to it like a duck to water or you're going to see someone who's going to mm, i'm going to take a little longer to get into things so i'm going to start with the manual focus i got two two different eras from the same camera company minolta the 1970s the all metal uh everything is the srt series so in north america it'll be the srt 101 the 102 the 202 the and and so forth i would highly recommend these because uh, for sort of those sturdy steel manual focus cameras they're easy to find it's got an amazing lens system behind it with the uh 
the M MC Roker uh, lenses from Minolta. It has very intuitive controls. So everything is where it's supposed to be. The speed dials on your right. You've got the, because again, you can get, can get some cameras where an industrial designer got very creative and then, you know, you're left hunting for everything. No, the whole thing with the SRT series, it is a simple SLR. Uh, if you get one with a working meter, the great bonus with the uh, SRT series, it has uh, the CLC metering system. You're going to get great exposures and it forces you up to learn exposures. So the relation between your aperture and your shutter speed. Now, the second camera I'm going to recommend in the manual focus, and again, it's also Minolta from the 1980s, the X700. It is what I call Minolta's returning shot to Canon's AE-1 program. It was made for a long time. It was made in Japan, later made in China. Ideally, you want the Japanese version because version, it has better resistors. Again, it's got aperture priority. It's got shutter priority. It's even got program mode. If you really want to take baby steps in, you can let the camera do everything for you. I have never seen a bad shot taken from an X700. It too is also using lovely Minolta Roker glass. It is a slight descendant of the MC mount, which means you need MD mount to get all the functions out of the camera. You can use the earlier stuff if you just want to go manual or aperture priority. Both of these cameras you can get without breaking the bank. And again, Minolta glass is still reasonable out there. Now, the other two I'm going to focus on is autofocus. Now, again, I have a Minolta and I got a Nikon. I'm going to talk about the Minolta first, the Maxim 5. Now, I chose it over the... Uh, the Canon Rebel because uh, EOS glass, it's going to get a little bit more expensive. Whereas the Minolta, quote on, it's again, you're coming, most likely your Maxim 5 is coming with a, with a kit lens, which is a zoom. So it'll give you everything you need. And again, it's another one of those cameras you can throw it on program and then just focus on composition, which again is like any beginning photographer. And I was a beginning photographer too, a long time ago. Yeah. I have to work on composition like everybody else. And again, the other bonus is they're cheap. You, you, you got to look for them, but you can find them just about anywhere. Now, the last camera I'm going to recommend, it's going to be a little on the more expensive side. And I would recommend instead of getting a zoom lens, get uh, a 51.8 is the F90X. What's to love about the F90X? Yes, it's a lot more camera than you're going to get out of the Maxim 5. It's pretty much a step down from a pro body, but you can get these for cheap. Like $75 US gets you a functioning body, and then you can throw on a Nikkor AFD 518 prime lens. That's another about $90 US, I guess, going rates and used market. And you're at the door, something under $200. And the other bonus with the uh, F90X over the three other cameras, it takes AA batteries. You can find AA batteries literally anywhere. Now, what's to love about this camera? You can set it on program mode. You can set it on aperture priority. So you, again, learn your relationship between your aperture and shutter speed. And again, provided you read the owner's manual or you have someone who's acquainted with the camera, 
it's easy to use once you set it up and you can just go to town with it. The other bonus is it takes Nikkor AFD glass or even just the AF glass, but the AFD is probably the sweet spot for this camera. And you can build yourself a lens system. If you're, if you're deciding to go deeper in, you can build a lens system around this. In fact, you can build a lens system around all the cameras. But again, with the F90X, I highly, and the SRT and the X700, I highly recommend getting just a, a nifty 50 lens and start with that. Learn that focal length. And you'd be surprised what you can get away with with just one lens, one prime lens. There have been times I've gone out and shot with just a 50, and I wonder why I took the other two or three lenses with me. But that's a story for another occasion. So the one thing that our listeners probably will notice is that on Bill's list, there was not a single point and shoot or rangefinder on it. So why did you stick primarily to SLRs, Bill? SLRs are cameras... It's like one of those sort of, you know how they say when you buy a new computer, buy way more than you need because you're going to grow into it quickly. I sort of see that if somebody's getting into photography, some people might just say, yeah, I'm content with this. But it's something it's, you, you've got room to grow in it. Whereas something like a point, and the other thing is SLRs, again, maybe... Maybe not the Maxim 5, but, and maybe not the F90X, but definitely the SRT and the X700 are repairable. A point and shoot, I don't know, let's uh, Nikon, uh, Yashica, Canon, insert name here. Once it dies, you're done. You just take it off to electronic disposal and that's it. And that's the crying shame. Whereas with an SLR, okay, if the body dies, you still have the lens. So you just buy another body. And as for rangefinders, I would say that would be your second camera. That's my, my general rule of thumb. And it's, I'm going back in my journey. It was like, okay, I got the Canon AE-1. And then I think a few short years later, I wound up with a Canon Canonette and did lots of really neat things with that. And about four years after that, I wound up inheriting my dad's like an M3. But again, it's sort of like as, a, as your first camera, it, it's kind of like uh, if you use the motorcycle analogy, it's like being given the keys to a, a, um, a Ducati, um, one of the top end Ducatis. I'm just like my blanking here with the 1100cc engine when the 500cc engine is good enough. Nice. Now, the one thing that Bill did bring up quite a bit is composition, and there are plenty of things in regards to that to definitely both learn and teach within photography. And thankfully, within our team, we have someone who actually taught photography, James. So give us a scoop. What are good things that uh, someone beginning with photography should really learn, and how could we as people who just know this instinctively help them go forward sure um yeah i um i was uh, fortunate enough to uh to teach photography at uh, at the illustrious uh, sheridan college and their uh, uh their applied photography program um a few years back and um you know certainly there's a 
there's a lot of things to learn about photography, whether or not it's digital or film. Um, but it's really a journey. And I think what what the main difference between, say, you know, most of the folks on this podcast, well, I, okay, all of the folks on this podcast, um, you know, versus, uh, you know, someone that, that's that's new, it's we're all on a journey. Some of us have walked the photographic journey longer than others. We've taken different turns and, you know, twists and things like that. So we've all made different mistakes and we've all gotten lucky. Uh, but there's really one thing that we're looking for on that photographic journey, and that's really consistency. And how do you find that with uh, with film photography? And first off, you got to ask yourself, well, where am I on the journey? We want to get somewhere. We have to know what our starting point is. So I'm going to talk about learning techniques and, and little tips and tricks for primarily somebody that understands photography already, that understands the exposure triangle, that knows how a camera works and things like that. But let's say you're not that person. So I'm gonna digress for just a couple of minutes. Let's say you're brand new to photography um, and you've heard of, hey, there's this new thing called film photography. Um, at least you assume it's new. Um, but what is, uh, you know, what is uh, old is now new again. So let's say you're brand new to the photographic world. I think you need to do your own research. And I think that research starts in books before it starts on the internet. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about why I have that opinion. But there is one book in particular that I always tell people learning photography to start off with. And it's a book by Brian Peterson. And it's called Understanding Exposure. And I think that lays a foundation for sort of everything in photography in terms of producing an image. Uh, he has a second book called Learning to See Creatively that should be a, 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 the second read that you do if you're brand new to photography because that teaches you about the elements of design and composition and that sort of thing and movement and making your images dynamic. So uh, it's been a bit more of an artistic approach. But if you're brand new um, and you want to learn photography, honestly, uh, you know, if you can email all you want, um, we're not going to respond, but digital might be a good path to start. And the reason why digital is a good path for somebody that is brand new to photography is because you can see the results of your settings and what you're doing in your composition immediately. So the learning cycle is a lot faster. But let's go back to film. So number one, learning film photography is a marathon. It is not a race. You're not going to learn it overnight. You're not going to learn it in a year. Uh, I've been at this since 1983. I'm still screwing up. I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. But I'm also making a hell of a lot of what at least what I think and my mom thinks are brilliant images. Um, so uh, you know what? Uh, we are all, all going to continue making mistakes. Film photography makes you humble and it doesn't matter how long you've walked the path it's going to kick in the pants when you least expect it. But how do we limit those things and how do we build a foundation? So I really uh, emphasize shoot one roll at a time. Don't have, you know, two or three different cameras. Buy one camera, get to know it, stick with two film stocks, one normal speed, 100 ISO, and one medium speed, 400 ISO. And uh, I think Jess might be talking about this film a little bit later, but my two recommendations would be one of two films or well, or well, two films from two of the major manufacturers and on the Oprah side it would be FP4 and HP5. And on the, 
on the Kodak side, uh, it would be uh, Tri-X 400 and probably T-Max 100. Uh, but personally, I would highly recommend going with the Ilford system because Ilford's website has a lot of really good educational articles and tools, and they have been in this business and remain consistent and support uh, black and white film photography um, and photographers, and they have been doing it for years. Uh, but I don't want to get into that debate. But, you know, my personal recommendation, go on the Ilford side, stick with one developer, stick with a good general purpose developer when you're starting out. So on the Kodak side, that could be uh, HC110, it could be Xtall, it could be D76. And of course, the Ilford equivalents like your ID11s and Perceptols and things like that. But just pick one, pick one that you can pull and push with. And that's, you know, that and all of those developers have very good push and pull uh, compensating qualities. You don't necessarily need to, you know, spend money on, say, a TMAX developer that's going to be a little bit more high cost because it has compensating qualities, et cetera. You don't necessarily need to do that. Um, and this is, of course, if you're getting into black and white film photography. If you want to just learn the photographic craft and how to use the camera, there is no problem using a good professional lab to, do, to, to develop your film. You don't have to get into film, to film development right away. It's really fun. It's cool. It's, it's intimidating when you start, especially black and white. Don't let it intimidate you. Pick one set of film, one set of chemicals, and then you take the intimidation factor away. Ask a lot of questions, but don't believe every answer that you hear. Uh, we've seen the amount of uh, film photography pages and websites and all kinds of things popping up on Facebook and you know Instagram and people setting up their own websites and YouTube channels. And hey, there's a lot of great people doing it. And then there's a lot of inexperienced people doing it. And I'm not saying this to slag on any inexperienced people, but they're, they're only providing the information uh, based on their own experience, right? So it may not be a fulsome picture. Um, it's not to say that the information's wrong, but also take it with a grain of salt and don't be afraid to seek out second opinions. There's really good websites out there. And like what I say, go back to like an Ilford as your baseline, go back to their website because that's the business they're in. They're not gonna steer you wrong. Now here's something, well, before I get into what sort of my really sort of strange approach is, uh, is most people will, will pick a 35 millimeter camera and that's absolutely fine. All of the examples that Bill had mentioned are really terrific camera systems to really uh, you know, get into it with. They're lower cost. They're a lot of fun, but there's some trade-offs when you shoot roll film. And I'm gonna talk about why I would recommend the most ideal approach is to start with large format, is to start with sheet film. And let me tell you why. We've all heard about the expression, right? Expose for shadows and develop for highlights. Most people say that, but in my opinion, in my experience rather, most of them don't know what it means. And this is the curse of the internet. You know, you hear these tidbits, we think what we know is true. We don't necessarily know whether or not they're factual. Right, so we develop this narrative in our head that we understand something when we truly don't. So I really like to break down uh, the expression, you know, expose for shadows, shoot, develop for highlights is really expose for shadows and develop for contrast. And this really goes back to old school darkroom techniques where we had graded paper and we kind of attribute that to the zone system where we have an arbitrary scale of contrast from 
zero to 10, AKA the zone system. And what we're really trying to do with expose for shadows and develop for highlights is, is really to get that sort of base exposure on our negative to somewhere around the two range. Uh, so it makes a good print. And the same principle applies to when you're scanning a negative. But enough of that diatribe, I'm not gonna write a dissertation on the technical aspects of film photography. I just wanna talk to you a little bit about the origins of it. But back to sort of the practical application of this, okay? So this really means that um, this method of shooting for, uh, for shadows, developing for highlights is really just a way to fine tune uh, your negative so you can get a good scan, so you can get a good print. Just think of it that way. So what this really means is that the tones captured on your negative, they really have to have a certain dynamic range in order to make a good print and to make a good scan. You know, it's kind of like, how do I fit a, uh, or I don't want to put a round peg into a square hole, right? I'm shooting for a certain way because I know my negative is going to come out a certain way. And we don't have the same flexibility that we have in digital when it comes to film to make adjustments as we do on digital files. So we have to really kind of nail that exposure and get it into uh, to those uh, goalposts. Okay, so when you expose for the shadows, you ensure that you have sufficient shadow detail to make the print the way you want it to turn out and the way you like it and the way you want it to look. And the reason for this is why we shoot for shadows is because shadows are affected less by developing time changes than the rest of the tones are. So highlights are more affected by development time uh, in comparison to shadows. It's very hard to over-process, over-develop and blow out your shadows. You can easily blow out uh, your highlights, right? So the brighter tone that is recorded, the more intense light uh, is going to be on that negative. So those are your highlights, right? And because you have those highlights and you have more reaction that's taken place on the negative on the silver, it's going to take a lot faster time uh, to develop. So that means when you ex extend the development time, the highlights are affected the most. So if you're shooting for highlights, you're really limiting the amount of flexibility and controls that you have when you're developing your film okay so effectively what this really means is the longer you develop your film the more contrast you get but the only way to get that contrast control is to shoot for the shadows because if you shoot for the highlights you're really narrowing that range very very uh, very very much so it's the one thing that um uh, that we can control so uh, you got to think about it uh, that you that really these are the just the two main controls that we have in the film developing process you know we can control our aperture and all that stuff but film has a very limited dynamic range in comparison to the new digital uh technology now that's kind of the tables have kind of turned on that because five years ago film had way more uh dynamic range and was probably easier to shoot than digital but those tides have turned now because the digital sensors are just are just pretty uh pretty incredible so for example, um, on a low contrast day of shooting means you might expose the film a little bit less because there are no shadows as deep as on a normal contrast day. Like your, you know, your blacks are gonna be black, your grays are gonna be gray, your light grays are gonna be light gray on a low contrast, typical as Bill would put it. Uh, I don't know, uh, what is it? Uh, stinky pewter or whatever uh, Bill and John- Distress pewter. Distress pewter, that's it. So, uh, you know, those kind of days, your your highlights are not generally, you're going to have to develop for those highlights. 
your shadows are going to look really good because it's a low contrast day. So how do you improve that contrast? You either, you, you basically push your film uh, and you develop it uh, for a little bit longer. So you develop in those highlights because remember, you are, you, those highlights are going to be a little bit more reactive. So you're not getting the same highlights on a low contrast day. So you put it in the tank, leave it in a little bit longer, okay? And that's really pushing your film a little bit. On a high contrast day, you're going to need your film to expose a lot more information because you're gonna have a lot of variance between uh, your shadow detail, which might be lighter, but then your highlights are gonna be uh, a lot hotter, a lot higher as well too. Remember, we're, our zone system is from zero to 10. On a high contrast day, that zone system, the, the amount of, of change might be zero to 13. We've got to bring that 13 back down to 10. So what do we do to do that? Well, we know our highlights are hot. So now we're going to pull the film in the tank. So we're going to develop for a little bit less to preserve those highlights. Those are really the two controls that you really have to learn uh, when it comes to developing and shooting your own film. A lab will take care of this for you, but you have to tell them. You have to say, I need this pushed. I need this pull. Now, why do I stay large format? Because I can control every negative individually shooting shoot film, shooting sheet film on large format. Whereas if I'm shooting roll film, unless I'm going to shoot the entire roll and shoot the exact same types of scenes with those 36 exposures. And by the way, uh, if you're shooting roll film, start with 24 exposures. Don't buy 36 exposure um, rolls because then you're just you're just practicing bad habits. Okay. The other thing that I recommend as well too, is get one of these. It's an analog book. Um, it, it is a notebook specifically for photographers that allows you to record data on all of the different frames that you shoot. And the really cool thing about analog book is it has in the inside cover, um, uh, pictograms and references of the zone system, EV scale conversions, everything, all the nerdy stuff that you need to know about film photography uh, that you can easily reference and typically won't remember if you're a new shooter. So remember, shoot for the uh, shadows, develop for contrast. Take those highlights, don't worry about them. Look for those, what we call zone four, and kind of, and, and then lower at one stop, which we'll talk about later. I don't want to get into the sort of technical aspects of shooting. Just what you've got to be mindful of is learning to see first. So you've got to look at your scene. Do I have a high contrast scene? Do I have a low contrast scene? If I have a high contrast scene, I'm going to have to develop that less because I'm going to have a lot more highlights than I do shadows. If I have a low contrast scene, I'm going to have to develop more because I don't have the highlights. I have everything kind of middle gray. I need to uh, let my shadows dark by sitting in the tank a little bit longer and I need to let my highlights come up a little bit more by letting it sit in the tank a little bit longer too. So you get the contrast. Don't worry about exposure. We're looking for contrast when it comes to black and white film photography. So hopefully I haven't nerded you out too much, but uh, that's kind of my take on it. And if you take a look in our episode notes, my good friend Matt Marosh has an amazing YouTube channel and he knows all this stuff like the back of the hand. So I'll make sure to find um, a video of his that talks and explains really clearly what James has said and really shows you 
and Matt basically went from shooting digital to eight by 10. Yeah. So he gets it and good friend of mine, I've met up with him. I've talked with him. He knows his stuff as much as James does. So that was <laughs> a lot of information. <laughs> it is a lot. And you know what? It's a lot. I, I have seen Matt's episode on this topic and he explains it really, really well. But very simply put, if you have a low contrast day, you're going to have to develop a little bit longer. If you have a high contrast day, you're going to develop a little bit less. Make mm-hmm. sure you take good notes. And, oh, you know, I still take good notes. Yeah. I take all the notes, especially when shooting large format. Now, James mentioned a bunch of um, stuff, especially about film. And Jess has some fantastic film stocks that are really great for um, people getting started. So uh, as James mentioned uh, earlier, uh, taking what you hear or read with a grain of salt, um, I would say my approach to film personally is like when I go to a restaurant. I order the same meal over and over and over again because I want guaranteed enjoyment of my meal. So my approach to film photography is very similar. Uh, So I'm probably not going to mention certain films that a lot of people really love. uh, And I'm sorry for that. But there are a lot of films to choose from. And while I have shot a variety of different films, I haven't shot them all. And I haven't necessarily shot each of them extensively. So the ones that I've chosen are films that I've been shooting for a very long time and have really gotten to know over the years. Also, this might be a little further than the very beginning when you're first, first starting out. It is going to depend on what you shoot. Like I'm primarily a nature, landscape, cityscape and show slash festival photographer. I don't really do any kind of indoor portrait sessions or weddings or anything like that. So depending on what you are going to shoot, you might choose different films for that. So again, the films I have chosen are more based on my personal experience with them, but they're also all really good films. And One more thing before I get into it. When you're beginning, price will matter. You're not going to want to spend $20, $30 a roll uh, when you don't know what you're doing. Uh, So I did did try to go for cheaper films as well, but that are very excellent films. um, And that, I mean, a lot of professionals I know still use those films. So don't feel bad if you like a cheap film versus a professional level film. So getting into it Um, for color film, unfortunately, these days we do have a few less options than we used to. Um, But one of my favorites, a staple, a total classic is Kodak Gold 200. Now that film I have actually been shooting since I got my first camera when I was nine years old. Uh, So it gets bonus points for the fact that uh, it's something that's very familiar for me. um, And I can keep getting a consistent look even from when I was nine. My images look very similar. I have a look that stayed the same. Uh, And there's also a touch of nostalgia that comes with that film. 
it also has a very nostalgic look to it. Uh, you know, I feel like Kodak Gold makes everything look good. It always looks like it's golden hour, no matter what time of day you're shooting, um, probably because it's called Kodak Gold. <laughs> but it's a great film. It's relatively cheap. Um, it can be found in 24 or 36 exposure rolls. And I do definitely recommend James's point on that, sticking with the 24 exposure rolls so that you can correct any mistakes you might have been making instead of continuing over and over to make them. Now, my second film, this one's not actually available in 24 exposure rolls, I don't think, but this is a very good film as well. It's Lamography's Color 400. It might be rebranded Ultramax. I'm not 100% sure on that. It looks very similar. So if you want a similar look, you can also go for Ultramax, but Lomo 400 is actually cheaper than Ultramax right now. And it's very, very versatile film as well. Uh, it's got a slightly faster speed than Gold 200. Uh, so you can use it in a range of conditions, uh, you know, indoors, outdoors, sunny, cloudy. Uh, and it's a really good all-round speed. It's got punchy colors, but it's not over the top. And what's really great about Lomography is that they have such a fantastic community around them. So there's a great way to get a lot of help, a lot of resources, just by visiting their website. They make it very, very easy for beginners to get started. Now, for black and white, it's probably no surprise I'm going 100% Ilford here. For myself, when I started to take classes and started to take photography more seriously, I was actually learning on uh, Delta 400. But I don't think that that's the best film to start with. My personal recommendation is going to be HP5. It is a much more versatile film. It is much easier to get consistent results from that film for myself. Um, I find Delta I have to work with a little harder. Uh, and that's also the reason why I would recommend it over Kodak Tri-X. Now, they are similar films, but I found that with Tri-X, I would have to expose for, say, 320 and then process for 400 to get to make sure I had a good balance. Uh, whereas I find HP5 is much better straight out of the box. So if you do end up getting like a point and shoot or some camera that runs only off of DX coding and you can't like play it too much with your settings, then this is a great film to just shoot straight out of the box. It's also extremely versatile. It's got good contrast, again, without going over, over the top. Um, and you can just do so much with it. Um, also, though, if you want a slightly cheaper alternative to HP5, Camp Mirror 400 is another fantastic film. I do have a little less experience with that one, um, but it's a little bit cheaper than HP5 if you want to really want to hit that price point. And I think that Fomapan might be still a little cheaper. The only reason I will not suggest it for beginners is because it doesn't have markings. So if you're, especially if you're starting out uh, developing home development, uh, you don't have the marks to actually cut your negatives. So if you're not careful, you don't know what you're doing, you might actually cut right through a shot and have a half negative, which would be a terrible shame. Um, don't ask me how I know. <laughs> um, and then my second black and white film is FP4. Uh, now, I do find this film is slightly less versatile than HP5, but it's still a fantastic film. Um, it's a slower speed, but it's very suitable for landscapes. It's a great winter film if you live somewhere where there's lots of snow. Uh, it doesn't 
blow out the the snow, the whiteness of the snow, but it also doesn't make it that muddy gray that can sometimes happen with black and white films. Um, and it's got a really nice grain, much finer than HP5. HP5 can get a little grainy, uh, so just be prepared for, for a bit of that. If you really want a crunchy film, HP5 is perfect though. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my recommendations. And those are excellent recommendations. Um, I definitely agree that going with something a little more consumer is a great way to start off instead of jumping in with say egg for Copax rapid not exactly a good film for uh, beginners but no I know that there's a lot of other black and white films that are cheap as well like I know there's ultra fine there's Arista um, again though those are just films mm -hmm. that I've never actually shot with so I didn't want to yep. talk about them because I just don't have enough personal information and the thing with Arista films is that they are just rebranded FOMA so it's yeah. 100, 200, and 400. And yeah, I wouldn't recommend FOMA for, for beginners either, um, especially if they're doing home development. It's a lot harder to load them onto the uh, plastic reels than yeah. the nice thick base that you get with, uh, with Ilford. So when it comes to home developing, it is both satisfying and frustrating at the same time. And it's not really necessary for when you're getting started with um, your journey into film photography. Don't be afraid to use labs at the start. There's lots of really great labs here in Canada, here in the United States and across it. But if you really want to jump into home processing, probably the best thing to do is to reach out to people who are local in your community. If there's someone who has the equipment already and is willing to show you the ropes, you really have a head start already. But if you're in a situation where there is no one else and sending stuff out to a lab is prohibitive or is just a lengthy procedure, the nice thing is, is that our good friends at Ilford have teamed up with Patterson and have made it easy to get started. There's actually a starter kit you can get and it costs around 160 um, Canadian, and it has everything you need to be able to develop two rolls of film, of 35 millimeter film right off the bat. It has the tank, the two reels, um, three 600 mil um, cylinders, a stir stick, a thermometer, the, and it even comes with um, the Ilford Simplicity chemical kit. So you're, ready to go right out of the box. The only thing you really need is that change bag to be able to put the film onto the spools. And really that is one of the most difficult parts, but as James says, it's a marathon, not a race. What you really need is just a spent roll of film that like get an old roll of Kodachrome 40 that you're never going to process, yank it out of the yank it out of the container and do it in the light, like watch your hands, um, learn the motion, it's drill. You need to gain that muscle memory. And once you feel comfortable doing that, close your eyes and do it by feel, and then finally put it in the bag and then you're ready to go. When it comes to chemistry, there is a ton out there today but I'll echo everyone else's thing. Go with something consistent. Don't dig in and invest in a one gallon 
bottle of D76 to start off with. If you're in Canada, start with something like Ilfasol 3. As much as it pains me to recommend it, it won't last as long on the shelf, but it will give you good economical results for fairly inexpensive. If you're over in Europe or the UK, um, Ilfatec LC29 is definitely the better option because no matter what dilution you use, it will give the same results over and over again. And ADOX FX69 2 is another good one. You'll also need a stop bath. You can just start using water at the beginning, or, but if you really want that good stopping power, Ilfa Stop and then Ilford Rapid Fil Fixer is available in bottled forms. And it gives you something you don't have to invest a lot into. And then it's just a matter of practice, getting those, um, practicing, learning the techniques. There's plenty of great YouTube videos online on that and just figuring out what you like for yourself and sticking that to that technique, no matter what people say, if it gets you the results you want, you're not doing it wrong. 100% agree. It's, you know, it, it's really important to keep it simple um, and embrace the fact that you're going to screw up. Oh, absolutely. It's going to bite you in the ass. And, you know, if you're prepared for a, a bite in the, in the, in the ass, they won't hurt as much, uh, you know? Um, and of course you'll also make happy, happy mistakes, right? Like, you mm -hmm. know, there's, there's lots of those that happen. Um, but the only way to, you know, to find consistency in your path is to just stay at it and don't be discouraged. You know, yeah. if it's something important, shoot it with film and shoot it with digital. Yeah. And the funny thing is I learned color film development by forcing myself to take a very important roll of film and running it first. Yeah. Absolutely. Because then I knew I would do it right. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like shooting, shooting large format. Yeah. It, it's very true. And, and you know what? It's not film photography. Before we called it film photography, it was just photography. Photography. You know? And the techniques you that were brought in from film continue today with digital. And I know that my photography improved greatly especially in understanding the relationship between aperture and shutter speed and freezing motion and letting motion be seen and depths of field i got that nailed with digital because i could look at it and go oh that's how it works <laughs> absolutely and that's why digital is is frankly the best way to learn photography today mm -hmm. because there is no ongoing cost uh, in, in terms of film and chemicals and that sort of thing. Um, you use Photoshop to finish your work and Photoshop, although the medium is different, the techniques, concepts, and principles are, were all born out of the, the dark, dark room. So, yeah. you know, those skills are transferable, you know, back and forth, you know, and I always tell, I, I would always tell students the challenge of photography is to take what is between your ears, incorporate what is in your heart, and put that into your hands. Now, you mm -hmm. don't need the 
I hate to say it, probably 150 years of experience sitting on this podcast to do that. You can accomplish that in a week. You can accomplish that in a month. You can accomplish that in a year, three years, five years, however long it takes you. Just bite off one chunk at a time. Learn a technique, practice the technique. You know, it, it's, I, I'm a scout leader. And in scouts, we have this mantra called plan, do, review. And the same thing applies to photography, whether or not it's film or digital. Plan out your shoot, plan out your technique, plan out your approach, plan out your equipment, go do it. Now review it. What should I change? What did I do right? What should I do differently next time? What do I like about the results? What would I change about the results? And don't be afraid to ask other people's opinions. And when I say ask for people's opinions, opinions don't come with little blue thumbs. Opinions come from real people telling you how the work you've presented to them, how it makes them feel. What does it make them think of? You know, does it bring back a certain memory? You know, is it good, bad, ugly, whatever. But that's really what we're trying to do to get honest feedback of our work. We do these things, we create art because we want to take our personal experiences. And I say this very generally, of course, but an artist wants to take their experience, their perspective, record that in some kind of medium to share with the world, to, you know, let people understand, you know, their path to that point. What brought, because a, a photograph, you know, and I'm not, I don't mean a snapshot. I mean, a photograph is a culmination of a photographer's experience, uh, life experience, professional experience, training, whatever, up until the point they push that button. Mm -hmm. you know if they're really trying and then that's the feedback that you know personally i would want as a photographer and if, hey somebody thinks my work sucks well sure tell me why you know and i it doesn't matter if i agree with you or not all i'm really concerned about was well did i achieve what i wanted to achieve you know other than your mom you know not everybody's going to love your work mm. <laughs> so true very true well I definitely hope that those who listen to our show who are longtime photographers got a little bit out of this that maybe they've decided to take that next step, either pick up home development or try large format or, you know, finally figure out what the heck the zone system is. Or if you're new to photography, in general or new to film this is the first time you found that k1000 that came from your grandfather and you want to pick it up hopefully this has definitely helped you as always if you have any questions you can always reach out to us we're on facebook instagram email shoot us a message we'll make sure that your question is answered quickly promptly and by the right person we have a ton of experience here from gear, technique, chemistry, beer, you name it. We know it. And pens. And, Don't forget pens. Oh, yes. Pens. And coffee. <laughs> and coffee. Farming techniques. Oh, yes, yes. Organic farming techniques. <laughs> now, what's specific here? Oh, uh, no one wants to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just don't be shy, right? 
as James says, don't be afraid to ask questions. Be discerning about your answers. And as always, my name's Alex Oaks. Get out there. Try something new. Be humble. And a mistake isn't a failure if you learn something from it. This is Bill Smith. Uh, we all start. We all start somewhere at some point, and it's you, you will be making a lot of mistakes, but you learn from those mistakes. I have a bo- couple of boxes of my mistakes in the corner of my office. I revisit them on occasion. I learn from them. This is James Lee. Um, you know, I'll echo Bill's sentiments. A journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Don't be afraid to take it. Let your mind and your heart dictate where that path goes. And number one, have fun. This is Jess Hobbs. Uh, you know, practice makes perfect. So grab those rolls, grab those cameras, get out there and shoot, shoot, shoot. Shoot the things you love. Shoot the things that make you happy. Learn from your mistakes. And, you know, as James said, just have fun, but just get out there. Mm.